0: Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Horrible, a weekly podcast where OG Millennials have honest and candid conversations about dating, sex, yes, butt stuff, relationships, entanglements, and everything in between, starring your host, Scarlett Prynne.
1: Pull those anal beads out slowly. This is not a lawnmower. You don't want to hit a snack. (laughs)
0: Featuring guests, Vixen Moore.
1: No,
2: the more hyper-masculine and alpha a guy is, the more he's going to want to be fucked in the ass. (laughs)
0: Lila Moon. Please, for the love of God and everything holy, do not say my name during sex. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally, emerging from behind the scenes, the producer, Spider.
1: Kinky is using a feather. Perverted is using the whole damn bird. (laughs) So I posted a video in Discord today that I thought was very interesting. A lot of interesting statistics, a lot of really heartbreaking things that relate to women's pleasure. And I think this is a topic that is important not only for women, but for men as well. The things that I heard in this TED Talk were so startling But I think also things that instinctually I already knew, and things that, I mean, certainly Lila and I have shared how we struggle in the bedroom with experiencing orgasm with a partner. We can do it on our own, but with a partner, it's difficult. And I think that's not uncommon, unfortunately, with women. And so then poses the question, why? Why is that so difficult? There's definitely an orgasm gap and that's kind of a buzzword these days. What was interesting in this video TED Talk is Peggy Orenstein, she was saying that with same-sex relationships, where it's two women, the orgasm gap goes away, which was interesting to me. So here she is talking about how she had talked to a lot of 15 to 20-year-old girls and trying to get down to the bottom of what's going on here there's a lot of factors that she raised. And one thing that she said that stuck with me is that, yes, women feel entitled to sex, but not to pleasure. Isn't that interesting? And then I got to thinking about my own mentality in regards to this. And it fits you know, I don't have any qualms about feeling like, yeah, I can go have sex whenever I want with whoever I want, but I don't necessarily go into it expecting that it's going to be an enjoyable experience. I certainly don't feel entitled to that.
0: I never go in expecting to orgasm ever just because it's never happened for me. So like that's my norm. Right. I go in expecting to enjoy it, enjoy aspects of it, but I know...
1: Well if you're then like I'm me not gonna orgasm. And I think you and I have a lot of the similarities here. If you're like me, what we really want more than anything out of the experience is the closeness. Yes, absolutely. The physical touch, whatever the the other elements, the intimacy that's involved, because I'm like you, I'm going into it expecting not to orgasm. I yeah. would be shocked, frankly, especially in a first time encounter. If I had an orgasm
2: and vixens on the opposite end of the spectrum that I don't think I've ever had a sexual encounter that I didn't orgasm maybe once or twice where I was just in a really bad headspace. And it was with somebody who normally did get me off. And I was like, I can't even get myself off right now. I'm just not in it right at this moment.
0: So I guess that's our 100% headspace all the time. We're just (laughs) not there. (laughs)
1: apparently. Teach us your ways. And this is an epidemic, right? I mean, how many sexless relationships are out there? And a lot of times you hear men complain that, oh, we used to have sex all the time. Well, it was likely... She used to care
2: more about the closeness
1: and doesn't
2: (laughs) anymore. And was she getting off? And if she isn't, eventually she's going to be like, all right, I'd rather just have my vibrator. Well, I
1: was going to say, whenever it's a one-sided encounter which I think a lot of guys aren't even aware mm-hmm. that it's a one-sided encounter they think their woman is enjoying it and some of that responsibility falls on us right because we're not communicating and a lot of times we don't even know what to communicate like I'm not enjoying it but I don't know what to
0: tell you to make me right. enjoy it. I don't know how to guide you so well, like we're in the same dark boat
1: here actually- and she talked about that on the video So she gave an interesting statistic about that, actually. She was saying that girls 14 to 17, less than half of them have ever masturbated, not once.
0: Or reported masturbating. There's some guilt in admitting that you masturbated.
1: In and of itself is revealing, right?
0: And I mean, I totally get that growing up here in Texas in the Bible Belt. And, you know, it's very conservative, church-going people a lot of times. And you're expected to not do that as a woman, or not talk
1: about it. A lot of times it's not overtly said. In some households, it is overtly stated that that is bad, but sometimes it's just like the expectation is there, and you know the drill. You know what you're supposed to not do.
0: In my household, I guess, it wasn't Really discussed at all. It wasn't like this is super bad, right. you shouldn't do it, but it wasn't like open either. Right. So, I'm like, when I started doing it, I had to figure it out by myself. Like, I had no, exactly. I was like blind trying to figure out what to do. I mean, guys have it easy. They have the thing that sticks out and they just, you know, grab onto it and go. Right. It's nope. pretty self explanatory. And, and it's not it's with not... us. And so, I was just like, I don't know what to do. When I guess this lunch... feels good. I'm just going to go with this.
1: She was talking about having things become unspeakable by not giving them a name mm-hmm. and talking about how parents are usually giving their little boys a name for the penis very early on. You know, that's your pee-pee, your wee-wee, whatever it is. But girls oftentimes are never given a name for their genital area. And she said, if you want something to become unspeakable, don't give it a name. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of goes along with that. And then how even in sex education, everybody learns about the erection but very little is stated about the vulva and the clitoris and all of that. I have such a problem with sex education. I was homeschooled, so I didn't get it.
2: You didn't get any sex education, or you didn't get the guilt abstinence-only education.
1: That's what I got was the that's where I religious. Got to. Yes, I got it but from a religious perspective. We
0: didn't get necessarily religious because it was public school, but we did get the
2: state-sponsored abstinence-only. The only way to not is to not. I, on the other hand, I had a mom who took me to specifically to these workshop type things. I think they were put on by Planned Parenthood and they brought us in and taught us anatomy and I know my sister was in the older class group. And so they got to learn about the boys. And I was like, oh, they only taught us about periods. I want to learn about the boys. (laughs) But it was the fact that they did, or my mom made sure that I had the extra education. Beyond when I was five and I was asking questions, she took me to the library and checked out books to give me the full anatomy lessons then. And now my niece is five and started asking my sister questions. Well, how does the man put the baby into the woman's belly and she's like well we'll tell you later sorry I don't know kind of thing and my niece goes well I'm going to ask Vixen she's a scientist. She a hundred percent knows. And I'm like, yes, yes. Next time I come down, I will give your daughter the anatomy lesson. But I already know I've heard her mom, even the more conservative mom there explaining, yeah, she was going, what's this? And she's like, that's your clitoris. And she was like four years old at that point. So having that open communication in our family and that it wasn't a shameful thing. Even if we were very closed off, I, we never changed clothes in front of each other. When we got to high school, and we were in the locker room. We wanted to change in the stalls and stuff. But I knew everything about the anatomy and that sort of thing. But I had a mom who really went out of her way to make sure that I got education that the school didn't provide. And that
0: is
1: unusual, I would say. Yeah, Not absolutely. typical.
0: And I think we kind of run the spectrum here. My parents didn't really address it at all. They left it to the school to give me, you know, the basics and stuff. I didn't learn the word clitoris until I was reading romance novels. Yep. You know, like that was not said in school.
1: And I'm a reader too. I actually am a lot like you in that way where I I was always buried in books. And so much of my sex education came from a romance novel. I
2: started reading (laughs) romance at 11. Yeah. And
1: Um, I might have been even earlier than that. I got the
2: internet. I got my first AOL screen name at 12. I did not delve into the
0: depths of the internet at that time, but (laughs) romance novels, where it's at for me.
1: Yep, me too.
0: And I was even told at one point, I don't even know by who, but that romance novels would quote unquote ruin me in that I would expect it to be like that when it wasn't really. So I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind, like, is that why this is so, you know, hard for me is because I have this in my head and have Mm. for so long. But like, I don't feel like that's the reason but who knows, you know, can't go back in time to reverse that to see if it would be any different. But well, yes. I'm
1: wondering if with you and me in particular, because a lot of it is linked to that kind of mental emotional thing, if that's where some of the hang ups are. But certainly in general, just these statistics that it's talking about, just the lack of sex education when it comes to girls. Even they did a study she was talking about between Dutch girls and U.S. college girls. In both cases, it was two universities. One was a Dutch university and one was a U.S. university. And just talking to them about their experiences with sex and how they felt about sex and how the Dutch girls had a lot less negative things to say. They had a lot less negative consequences, a lot less STDs, pregnancies any of that kind of stuff associated with it, it was more positive experiences and positive adjectives. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the U.S., it was more negative. There was a lot of words she was talking about, like uh, depressing, embarrassing, painful, humiliating. And
0: I 100% blame that on religion. You think so? I I do. Religion Religion backs that abstinence-only education. And that is a big part of it. Because in the Netherlands, they have a very open... They call it like sexuality education and not sex education, which is kind of different. You're not just learning about sex. You're learning about your sexuality, mm-hmm. which is a little more personal
2: instead of clinical. I would say more well-rounded. Yeah.
1: Well, and, that actually and there... goes into something she was talking about with the way that we talk to our kids about sex, not only sex education at an institutional level, but also from parents to kids. And she was saying whenever we talk to our kids about sex, it's typically surrounding the dangers yes right stds and that's how it is in school too with these
0: abstinence only programs the only way to not get pregnant is to not have sex if you do have sex this is all the stuff that you're going to get from it it's like trying to scare you into not having sex right exactly totally fear-based
1: but when they talk to these dutch girls about okay how did you learn about sex what was the framework surrounding the education prior to these experiences it was not just oh here's things that could happen bad for you but it was also about pleasure yeah like that was discussed like how to actually have fun doing it they don't
0: want to say it's okay to go out and do it but the thing is that teenagers are going to do it regardless and that's the big like statistic with the abstinence only programs versus the you know comprehensive programs programs is that both groups do it about the same rate. But the ones who got the comprehensive education are much better educated about it and are more safe about it than the ones that got abstinence only because they just were told not to do it.
1: Well, and as these statistics demonstrate, people had a more positive outlook and were having more pleasurable experiences.
0: More pleasurable and safer, which you know, win, win,
2: come on. I think that also goes into when we talk about monogamy and polyamory and people always freak out and like, oh, but if you're having that much sex with outside people, then you must have a lot of like STDs. And it's like, no, actually, because they go into the conversation openly discussing it and saying, okay, what preparations are in place? When was the last time you were tested? Instead of it just being a spur of the moment thing you weren't planning and you jump on and you're like, oh, well, you're the only person I'm sleeping with. So I must be the only person you're sleeping Mm. with. So we're all clean. It's all good. And you don't even have that conversation. Whereas poly people will go, oh, we need to talk about this because I know you're with other people and I need to protect my partners. And there is a bigger conversation that occurs with it instead of it just being assumed that if we just don't talk about it, it won't happen.
1: There was something also interesting that she had talked about in regards to pain, which you'll relate to this, Lila, because Mm -hmm. you've discussed the struggles you've had with pain related to sex. She said 30% of girls experience pain during sex. And so she was talking about these statistics of whenever they've asked for guys and girls to describe what a pleasurable experience is for them in like basically measure your sexual pleasure. Guys will measure it by their own orgasm, their own experience. Women, on the other hand, will measure it on their partner's experience or
0: the lack of negative or so that, the, that was the yeah, other thing the lack of pain means it was good
1: right and so she was saying women go into and of course this is generally speaking not we're not talking about every woman on the planet but generally speaking women are going into a sexual experience with two objectives one that their partner receives pleasure and two that they don't receive pain i relate to that
0: 100 percent. do you i do
1: Is that still today, even after you've gotten through some of the painful issues, do you still have those two objectives?
0: Honestly, yeah, because I did have pain for so long that that's still kind of a fear in the back of my mind that it's going to be painful again. So if you're thinking of, you know, pain to pleasure on like a scale where pain is negative and pleasure is positive, you know, for so long that I was like, you know, at a negative three, negative five, because it was painful. So now if I'm at a zero, that's better yeah, than it was right I'm still not you know feeling pleasure I'm right. still not positive right but I'm zero right
1: and I can say I never had any of the issues that you had physically however I have experienced pain during sex in numerous instances in numerous ways and I discussed on the orgy episode that we did about Teddy well he had a huge dick like nine something inches that hurt but even there then was,
2: it doesn't have to hurt that way even like One of my partners is close to nine and actually he might be over nine, but I don't fit that. But if your partner knows what they're doing and knows how to take care of you, your pleasure should still be maximized even with a giant partner.
1: And then other things that could happen is in a fingering situation, which you talked about, Lila, having someone finger you and actually scratch the inside of your vagina, which sounds absolutely horrible. But I know... That hurt for a week. I was going to say my ovaries just curled up in my ears. I know, exactly. So whenever a guy is very unskilled (laughs) with fingering, it can hurt badly. Yes. And you can start telling whenever a guy is not proficient in that area and it's just like, okay... Let's do something else now because it is scary as fuck. Yeah. Like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing and I don't know what he's going to do down there. <laughs> well,
2: that brings up the other point, that if women aren't being taught about their own bodies and their own pleasure, how much education are boys getting about the female anatomy? Correct. Obviously, Nothing. if Not the at girl all. can't even name anything, the boy is going to be even worse off. Right. Because you would think most girls would eventually grab a hand mirror and be like, well, what's down there? where a guy doesn't even have that option. So then he goes in porn and older brothers. I mean, if you remember American pie where they had like the book in the library and they're trying to like teach them to spell out the alphabet with their tongue and that kind God, of thing. the
0: fucking alphabet oh, is the worst <laughs> guys do not do the alphabet <laughs> technique. I know so many of you like Google how to do oral and that's what you get. Don't do that. <laughs> God.
2: Now that being said, it's so, I actually had somebody say that they were upset on the episode we had about trash sex. And his complaint was that it was talked about, oh, yeah, I went on this date. The sex was trash. I'm just never going to see him again. And it's like, but you didn't give any feedback to him. He doesn't know that he was bad. He messaged saying, oh, that was super awesome. Can't wait to see you again. And then you just disappear. And it's like, okay, well, so that guy can't get Better. But is it our job to invest that amount of energy to train them? If you already feel like there's not a connection between you, then we like, "Eh." and is he really going to receive that feedback well? Yes. That's another point. What guy wants to
0: be told you're bad in bed or that wasn't good for me? That's a huge ego. And I brought it it up with him. I go, all
2: right. But you've mentioned some of the girls that you were with and that they just laid there then afterwards they were like wow you're the best ever and he was like are you kidding me that was your best like you didn't make a sound like you it was just dead fish there and I'm like but did you tell her hey I don't like when you do that I want you to do this he's like well absolutely not and I'm like Mm -hmm. right and now you're complaining that these women are not giving feedback to the guys he goes actually no my complaint was that they didn't Describe for the listeners what was bad so that we could take notes. Like, uh, if you could get them to sound now,
1: like, well, well, what is it well. that was bad? Well, can I just speak on the dead fish thing? I can't speak for you ladies, but when I'm masturbating and there's no guy in the room, I'm not making sounds. Oh, I'm silent. There's nothing going on there. You hear the <sighs> zzz,
2: but right. that's it. Right. Um, I'm going to have probably some sounds, but it's going to be more like the heavy breathing and like maybe the more like biting my lip, like trying to kind of hold it But
1: it's not going to be like, oh, oh," that guys are expecting. Now, do we not all know that guys are expecting that we are responding in some way? And I make those noises during
0: sex. I'm not super loud. I am not a screamer. I'm not very loud. And I've even had guys say, you can be louder, like thinking I was being quiet so I wouldn't disturb the neighbors or something. I'm like, I'm just not allowed person but you can earn that you're right no, I'm you like can make, uh, be that.
1: actual <laughs> sex I'm pretty expressive but when a guy is going down on me this is me mentally I can only speak for myself but if for me to actually reach even a possibility of me coming I have got to like get introspective like get inside my head and like shut down all the pop-up windows first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we call them, me yeah. and my husband. Shut down all the pop-up windows about whatever's going on with my kids, my business, whatever, right? So that's like the first exercise. Shut it all down. Then, okay, bring up what I do need to focus on, which is something sexy to yeah. do. right? So there's a lot <laughs> of internal gymnastics going on there. You're like,
0: okay, bring up scenario right. thirty. Four. Right, right, whatever it is. No, it's rule okay, thirty four. So
1: whenever a guy is going down on me, now I'm having to add the other element because I know the expectation is there that I be expressive. <laughs> You're like, right? okay, I'm thinking of this, but now
0: I got to wow. activate yes. audio.
1: Right, exactly. No, for real. It's like, okay. God, why if, is this so if difficult? I, if the I IT sit manager. here and I don't do anything, they're going to think I don't like you it. Know? They're going to think that they're doing it wrong. They're going to get all in their head and they're going to stop. I already know this run program. I have huh? to make sure they know I'm enjoying You this. have
2: to put on the performance. Right.
1: What? Just wrap exactly. your legs
2: around it so their ears are covered and then you can
1: <laughs> All they okay. can feel is if okay. you're vibrating. <laughs> Note to solve Vixen's pro tip number one. Right. Cover the ears. But it's these <laughs> kind of pressures. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's that kind of pressure that lowers the probability of an orgasm. Oh, 100%. At and, least for me. And for me,
0: I don't necessarily have all the pop-ups of external stuff coming up. But as soon as a guy like starts to go down on me or do something... That he is expecting yes. to result in an orgasm yes. for me. Yes. I start thinking about that pressure. And about, if a
1: guy actually says "come for me, oh baby" God. or "some you're done," like yeah, it, there's zero percent, zero percent chance well, it's happening to me. If don't I, say that to me. Yeah, not to me either.
2: There's a couple different varieties of orgasms too, though. So I think part of I'm the I'm not prob- having any of them. Okay, well, part of the problem is there's something we call butterfly orgasms and you're chasing them and you're jumping and you're trying to, and you're doing all of this stuff to try to catch the damn butterfly and it's extra pressure and you're like, oh my God, now he's waiting on me and that's when you just go, oh, I'm just going to fake it. Well,
1: I, what I was going to say though, as advice to men, if you want to increase the chance of your woman having an orgasm, anything you can do to relinquish pressure from her is going to go leaps and bounds more than anything you will do physically. If you can make sure that she is rests in the security of knowing that you will not think less of her, that you will not reject her, that you will not find her any less desirable if she doesn't make a sound, if she doesn't have an orgasm, that you have zero expectations on her to perform in any way, to have an orgasm, to do anything, that she can just be and you will find her completely desirable and completely in all of who she is as a woman. That's right? called
2: low stakes sex. So that like, hey, you know, I know you're probably not gonna be able to get off tonight, but can we still just kind of fuck around? And once that pressure is taken off, we find that the woman who previously said she couldn't orgasm suddenly can. Because oh, now that the pressure's, the pressure's off, off, it's off. Oh yeah, now and, it's move. Okay, cool. And and for yes. the love of God, do not ask, did you come?
1: Uh, if you <laughs> have to ask, it's a no. <laughs>
0: And if you ask, I'm going to lie to you. So you're teaching bad
2: behavior. Yeah, I don't care. No,
1: no. I won't lie about it. Because they're going to do that same thing
2: again. (laughs) And then they're going to expect, oh, well, you came last time when I I did this. Panic. I panic when they say, did you come? Just respond. I had a really good time.
0: Uh, I know. I need to work on it. But like most of the time, I just straight up panic when they ask me.
1: Please don't ask. Yeah, if you have to ask, the answer is no. And I won't lie. I will say no. I honestly, I tend to squeeze them because
0: I enjoy that sensation. So I'm going to do it. So they're probably thinking that I am coming because Mm. it probably feels similar to them. I don't know what it feels like for a guy, but so they might think that I am coming with that, but I just am doing that on purpose because I like that feeling. (laughs) More
2: sensation. Yeah. More texture. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I do that too. So I totally get what you're talking about but for sure if i have had an orgasm not only will you know the neighbors will know (laughs) (laughs) so if you have to ask this is my psa if you have to ask the answer is no (laughs) if
0: any of you ever happen to have sex with lila if i were to miraculously come i will fucking tell you I will tell you. Noted
2: checklist. Yeah. By the way, so like a lot of times when people like enter contests, they're like, oh, you can't work for this company and all this stuff. So on the fuck a fan. Like, what are the restrictions for entry?
1: Whatever you want them to be, Vixen. Vixen wants to enter. Yeah. Don't my ring the hat there. Do you think that the same sex statistic that she gave here... Is there an element of the pressure being relinquished when it's another woman? Do you think that ties in at all?
2: I actually find that there's sometimes more pressure if I'm okay. with a woman because then it's like, well, you should know how to please me because you're a woman too. We're like that. We give guys a pass, but it was actually one of the things that they talked about on there that we're talking about labiaplasty and girls not feeling comfortable with their body in the natural state and then being pressured to shave and all of those things. And how even when the guy was willing to provide oral sex for them or to give her pleasure, she turned it down out of being self-conscious. And that was something I mentioned to you before that like I had considered labiaplasty. One of my first sexual experiences was actually a threesome when I was 15. And it was with a guy that I had been with previously. And then I brought in one of my girlfriends and we were like starting to play and I go to go down on her and she just she smelled awful and I realized now it was an infection mm. but I was convinced that that's what girls smelled like and so I spent a long time not letting a guy go down on me because I was like, man, I would never want to subject somebody to that <laughs> yeah and it yeah. made me very self-conscious for a, for years afterwards and even now I have to like go do like a smell and a taste test before <laughs> to like make sure that I'm not like spelling bad or tasting bad or something like that because I am so self-conscious now after that's just that one bad experience. And she was 15. She probably had no idea what was going on yeah, down there, yeah. but it was enough that it made me turn down, even as sexually open as I am, that I was afraid that I was going to be that person.
1: I have heard women say that and I have heard guys say that about their women. Mm-hmm. So that is actually and pretty prevalent.
2: I have had girlfriends also say that they had had that happen when they 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 were with another woman, that same kind of thing of like doing a sniff check and be like, oh, sorry, I I, I can't tonight. I really got to go. My cat's having babies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I want to say that since I became more sexually active in this last year, I've gotten more yeast infections. I've had bacterial vaginosis which is the one that Mm -hmm. probably makes it smell weird. It's very fishy fishy. smelling. Yeah. And there are medications that you can get from the doctor for that. But what actually works really well for me is boric acid suppositories. Yes. Interesting. That you can get from Target, Amazon, whatever. You don't need a prescription for them. And they're super easy. And I usually just do one.
2: And it clears it up. And then to follow that up also on Amazon, there's vaginal suppositories that are prebiotics. After you take antibiotics in your digestive tract, you end up with an upset stomach because you've wiped out all of your good bacteria. And that's usually why when women take antibiotics, they also end up with yeast yes, infections because you have time. bacteria in your vagina that are there to help keep things in balance. And when they are gone, now the yeast that is naturally there is going to overgrow. And so you need to rebuild that natural flora to make a happy ecosystem and keep the pH balanced and everything. So if you, anything that throws that off, be it antibiotics, specific bubble baths, new guy underwear, guy coming
0: in you, guy just a new in dick and it wasn't super clean, yes. all that shit can throw off your pH. Yes. and this different really brands of condoms. Yes.
2: But I have found that buying these little suppositories on Amazon and pop one in anytime when you can tell something's starting to yes. be off you can start to tell and when you've had them a lot it will prevent it from popping up and it's just like magic the next day you're like oh everything's golden this nice. is great
0: and it's great <laughs> yes. because in particular
2: the prescribed medication for
0: BV bacterial vaginosis is nasty it reacts violently with alcohol like the pharmacist will literally tell you when you get this do not drink alcohol with this for at least probably three days after you finish taking the last dose. This is the stuff they prescribe to alcoholics to make them stop drinking.
1: So this kind of ties into a bigger issue that she had also discussed on this TED Talk about the way women feel about their own genitalia, how largely it's seen as... Icky. Icky. And she brought up a very interesting point that I actually wrote down. She said... The women she talked to, they simultaneously saw their genitalia as both icky and sacred. Yes.
2: And I can see both of those. Yes. isn't that interesting yes that also comes from purity culture yes Uh, this is your sacred this is your flower you must keep it safe because once it's tarnished those petals are plucked off you can never get that back (laughs) well
1: and then if you've had a sexual experience then of course what's that going to feed into Mm -hmm. that now i am broken in some way or i'm dirty or you know i've tarnished Mm the scarlet letter right Uh, yeah you know damaged goods damaged goods exactly And she was talking about pubic hair, how she was asking these girls what they did with their pubic hair area and why they did that. And she kept hearing over and over that they would shave it and they would get rid of the hair. And when she would dive into why, you know, she said at first the girls would tell her, well, it's just cleaner or, you know, it's my choice. But she would start drilling down it seemed like she didn't just take the first answer she was given and she'd Mm -hmm. really drill down into the actual motivations. And whenever she dove further into that question, it came down to what the men preferred. Yes. And that the men would indicate in some way that it was gross or nasty or in some way something humiliating about the hair.
0: And I've had more than one guy tell me, if you shave, then I'll go down on you.
1: Like, and how that was that feel? Con- that was a
0: condition of them going down on me.
1: How did that make you feel it whenever a guy said? It made me that? feel
0: dirty. Yeah. I'm like, that was gross. Right. And like, well,
1: first of all, it's, well, first of all, is that not first and foremost, sending the message that this is an obligation I got to do, yes. but if you want me to do it, make sure it's clean. And down that there. is the worst. Like, Absolutely. I, I'm not going to come from oral no. anyways. Right.
0: And so if you're going <laughs> to treat this like an obligation and something you feel like you
1: have to offer to me then I don't want it. You keep your tongue to yourself. And it is harder for the guys that actually do want it and genuinely enjoy it because we're carrying those experiences into the next relationship. So even you guys who genuinely love it and want to do it, we're still hung up on all those comments and the guys that saw it as an obligation.
0: But I've had guys too that have claimed to love it and want to do it and stuff. But then when we actually start to do it, they don't even make a move to do it.
1: Yeah, like, I've had that happen too. You
0: claim that you quote unquote eat pussy for your pleasure, but you didn't even try.
1: I kind of think guys think they need to say that,
0: that that's yeah. what they're supposed to and say. Like there's an expectation, obligation right. type thing. And I'm like, Duh. I've had that same
2: thing happen. So, so when they go, well, do you like giving blowjobs? What do you say? So or if the topic of blowjobs comes up.
0: I don't dislike it most of the time, unless again, it like smells weird or something. Mm hmm. But I'm not receiving any kind of pleasure from the act itself for me. And do you tell them that? No. They've never asked me if I like giving blowjobs. Who has ever asked me if I like (laughs) giving a blowjob?
1: No. But there again, the expectation is there because how many men have even come on this podcast to say that a woman's enthusiasm is the biggest thing that makes a blowjob good? Yeah. So if
0: we... Treat it as an obligation, like, I guess I'll go down on you. Right. They're
1: going to hate it. Of course.
0: So, why do they do it to us?
1: Good question. Good question. But the problem is, is that we accept all of these things. Yes.
0: And out of the total number of guys that I have been with, a handful maybe have gone down on me the rest did not even attempt
1: and that's how i mean this is really and, and this is what she's talking about in this whole ted talk is how there is such a wide variance in the way that women view sex and men view sex there's such a wide variance in who actually orgasms and who doesn't it
0: feels like such a male dominated area it's all for them and we're just along for the ride just a whole What a fucking
2: fleshlight then god well and i was asking like the guy who was saying well you know like I wish they would have provided more feedback. And I'm like, okay, for the guys to be like, well, you suck. And I go, but you wouldn't tell the girls. And I'm like, but you saw them again after that. Did you just ghost them? He's like, no, I saw them again. I'm like, so why did you see them again if you knew it wasn't going to be good? And he's like, well, eventually a hole is a hole, you know? Yeah, I'm because
0: like, for guys, ouch. bad sex is still sex. Exactly. It's like pizza, which it's like, yeah, pizza. That. Like when it's cold, it's good for them, you know? But for us... Bad sex is bad sex. Now, whenever and it makes us not want to have it anymore.
1: We had an episode with Teddy and Devin a while back. This was before our orgy with Teddy and Devin. And I had mentioned that in on that episode with them saying, okay, at the end of the day, even bad sex for guys, you're going to finish. Right. And they argued no. with me. They argued with me. I don't
0: think it's 100%,
1: but I think the
0: percentage is probably in the
1: 90s. And they gave examples of... Depends on the guy. Which I had no idea up to that point. That was literally the first time in that podcast episode where they explained that they had faked orgasms before. I had never even crossed my mind that guys do that. I know multiple guys who have talked about faking orgasms. Would you say, though, because one of my hypotheses to them because they are both in the lifestyle is that guys in the lifestyle who have experienced a lot more in the arena of sex, that's probably more prevalent with them than the average populace. Do you think that's true?
2: I think it is... Definitely a factor that they were probably more sensitive to their partner's feelings than the average guy might be. So when I asked one of my previous partners and I was like, Well, why did you fake orgasms with other women? He actually said it was nice that he didn't have to do that. He was comfortable enough with me to say, Hey, it's just not gonna happen tonight. And that was fine. And I was like, Okay, so I'll keep going until you're done, but I'm not gonna be able to come tonight. So I was like, Okay, cool. And he's like, It's so refreshing. And I was like, What is and he's like, Because a lot of girls get their feelings hurt if if the guy doesn't come so it's easier to fake it and just to finish because I just I'm tired. I want to go to sleep, but I don't want to hurt her feelings in the same way that you don't want to hurt a guy's mm-hmm. feelings. You panic and say that, yes, you had an orgasm.
1: So, so we will put an asterisk there to say we understand there are instances when they won't come. But yeah. as a percentage, let's just take percentages and here.
0: I think probably Teddy and Devin have more frequent sex probably right. being that's in Right, that's what the I'm lifestyle. saying. They're in
1: the lifestyle. And that,
0: you know, they, they don't have at, to tolerate bad sex. That too. The average monogamous guy that's not in a committed relationship is not having regular sex. So when he does have sex, you know, it might have been a few months. And he's probably more likely to come because it has been a few months.
2: I've actually had many, number of guys that I had to be with them for one to three months before they could have an orgasm with me. And I was like, that's unusual. But then, but the fact that you're even saying that's
1: unusual, if it was a woman, that would not be unusual in the least.
2: Well, I've never had a woman that couldn't come for the first month we were together. So, but you're
1: an anomaly. You're not <laughs> the norm. You're one of the outliers.
2: Well, that that's the thing. The fact that you're I... You're Spider George. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, well, and no we're in that, the lifestyle. So I put people in the lifestyle These in the were guys categories. that were not necessarily
2: in the lifestyle, though. These were people that I had normal relationships with. Were they guys that needed more of an emotional connection before they could get there? Actually, it? so it was that they had had previous traumatic experiences... Okay. And either had dated women that were emotionally abusive, for lack of a better word, that That did not prioritize their orgasms. Or one of the things they said that was a big factor is the fear of premature ejaculation. So they had spent so many years being scared to come too quickly that Uh, they made it to where they could no longer come with a partner. They could come from masturbation, but not with a partner because of that fear that I'm going to disappoint her if I come. And so then it just got ingrained and they were like, well, so it's better to not have an orgasm than to have premature ejaculation. So I'll just fake the orgasm. And then when I go home, I'll get myself off.
1: Wow. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that perspective. Interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. And I've had multiple guys. There's also something called death grip that happens where if especially if a guy goes a long time without having a partner and masturbates too much. They end up with overstimulating themselves that a vagina no longer feels good enough. It's not not tight tight enough. They can't get as tight as their hands can. And it becomes an issue and they actually have to stop masturbating for a long time to let their sensitivity rebalance.
1: So from your perspective, Vixen, are you asserting that there is no difference on that? that? That bad sex for guys is equal to bad sex with women?
2: No, I wouldn't necessarily say, but just for the factor that she mentioned, that no guy... Reported pain, yes. at least when it was heterosexual sex being discussed. Well, yeah, where is thirty word... percent of women were reporting
1: pain? Right, thirty percent of women were reporting pain, and also she mentioned that the adjectives that kept coming up with women were humiliating, depressing, embarrassing, and guys were not giving those negative adjectives.
2: But I do think, based on the number of guys that I've spoken to that do have those adjectives describing their previous relationships and sex in those previous relationships. But they might have had other encounters that were good. So, how much vulnerability are we going to allow men to have to talk about those things? To say, "Hey, my ex-girlfriend, you know, treated me like a piece of meat, and it started to hurt my feelings eventually." And versus saying, "You're a dude; you get to come a lot. Just quit your bitching yeah. and disregarding their feelings on the matter." And more than ten partners that I've had that have talked about negative repercussions. And how women treated them and having to step away from women who were like, your opinion doesn't really matter because you don't go through what women go through. And that they will not ask guys or they disregard their answers, even if they talk about childhood traumas and abuse and that nobody really talks about it. Maybe it's the fact that because I am willing to speak about it, I find that nearly every guy I speak to on the subject has stories of trauma, but they don't feel comfortable sharing that openly.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because by and large on this topic, I mean, as we've expressed during this entire episode, women do have a tougher time, generally speaking, getting to that orgasm or having a pleasant experience in general. So I could see where that would be kind of the manifested response to a guy is like, oh, you think you have it tough?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I can see how guys would shy away from saying anything like that because there is such A prevalent notion of it should be great for guys it is great for guys and if you don't like it what's wrong with you yeah type thing so I can definitely see the stigma there because if a woman's like you have bad sex it's kind of like join the club sister you know it's more of a community that we're like understanding of it might not get better but you know you have some support at least with other women Mm -hmm. with guys it's kind of like you can't tell other guys because they're gonna make fun of you are you gay yeah or something like that so I can see how guys can really internalize that and it probably makes it worse for those you know individuals
1: any kind of support structure for it yeah that's an interesting perspective and if there's any guys out there by the way that would like to come and talk about this on a public platform which I know would be a hard thing to do but
0: we have fake names nobody will know it's you
2: (laughs) we'll put a gimp mask on you you don't even have to see your face
1: So yeah, because I think that would be a great type of guest to have on here to have someone speak from a man's perspective that's dealing with sexual trauma or dealing with hangups in the bedroom.
0: And it could help a lot of guys that are going through the same thing. I'm on here to talk about, you know, my issues and try to make it more normalized so that other women don't feel like I felt for so long. So would encourage any guy, you know, that would be brave enough to do that, that we're fun and understanding, and we would not make fun of you at all. We're pretty open and understanding. Come
1: everything. on our Discord. You can DM us and let us know that you're interested. For sure. So yeah. we have our Discord. DM uh, Vixen.
2: I'll be your little therapist. <laughs> yes, you <she> will.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mommy you can, you can call her mommy. <laughs> so on that note, Vixen, what advice would you give to Lila and I as a woman who is hyper-orgasmic And have you ever had any trouble with that? Or from the very beginning, day one, have you been hyper orgasmic with your partners?
2: I've been hyper orgasmic up until last June. I went for about a month there where I was struggling just due to outside stress. But other than that, the rest of my life, I've always been hyper orgasmic. But that's partially because I was raised in a household that didn't have shame. I spent a lot of time exploring what feels good and exploring a reading everything I could because I didn't want to screw it up. And I didn't get my first kiss until I was 14. And so I've had a lot of people go, oh, well, you must have been sexually abused as a child. And it's like, no, I wasn't. I was taught it's your body. Find out what feels good for your body. I didn't have my first kiss until I was 22. So. All right. But even then I, think it
1: was... I was 19. So I was later too.
0: Yeah. So. Would you like recommend that we go to like sex therapy or something? Because I feel like we probably have Mm hangups from our upbringings in
2: the church and purity culture and other things. There are options for sex therapists. There are even just apps. The Rosie app is an app that was made by an OBGYN. And it is dedicated towards helping women find their pleasure because she was seen as a doctor that 43% of women coming in had some sort of sexual dysfunction. And she was like, I didn't get taught any of this in school. I got things talking about men's sexual dysfunction, but what about women? And I find
0: that interesting because like my doctor and the ones that I've been to never asked really about sex. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, are you having any pain or any discomfort
2: or like what's going on down there? But it wasn't like, are you coming? are you enjoying sex? Yeah. yeah. They've never asked that ever. No. So no. Dr. Harper said when I was talking with her about uh, speaking about shame on the New Zealand podcast and she was asking all about it and she was saying how shame is cross-cultural because that was the topic that came up of, is this just a white woman problem? And we were like, no, not at all. This is all cultures of women having this. And she said they actually had parts of the app dedicated to different religions and how to handle the sexual shame that came from each religion and how to address those concerns and find through masturbation or through sex, and still be good from your religion's perspective.
0: You know, this has just occurred to me, and it might be total speculation, but I wonder if many religions kind of put that shame on women to discourage extramarital, Premarital absolutely. sex. Oh yes, absolutely. so that we wouldn't, you know,
2: have children and not ho- know who the father mm-hmm. was. Blah blah. One hundred percent. It was a control mechanism. Yeah.
0: Well. So also, thank you, a...
2: ancestors. <laughs>
1: Fuck you. Well, there's also historically speaking. I remember watching a documentary about this where, you know, of course we come from Britain originally, and of course in the British culture, the heir it's very important. Know who your heir was. And so monogamy was highly emphasized, especially with the women, because obviously before there was DNA technology. Whose kid is that? Whose kid is it? And that's
2: actually a theory for why blue eyes became so popular was that it was a push because then you knew the paternity that if you have blue eyes and she has blue eyes, your baby's going to have blue eyes. And it kept it a little more secure. But part of that is that that heir to the throne or to the household only came up with the invention of agriculture Mm -hmm. and that the nomadic tribes did not practice monogamy and didn't care.
1: And then you have village. all the historical background in particularly with Britain and the Catholic Church and the Protestant fight and all of that, right? And so here you've got the Catholic Church trying to maintain power, political power, and what better way than hell? Mm-hmm. I mean, what more can you fear than fear, eternal damnation? Fear is a
0: very motivating yes, exactly. Thing. So
1: there's a lot of political background. I mean, if you study the theology of hell, that was a fascinating rabbit hole that I spent a lot of hours researching.
0: So I took ancient Greek in college. That was my language. And for at least one semester, we focused on the New Testament. And it's been a while, so I don't want to like misquote or anything. But I feel like some of the words that were translated into English as hell 100% did not actually mean hell. It meant just afterlife. It just says, after you died, this is where you go. Uh But they translated it into hell. This is a
1: topic I could talk about for a long time (laughs) because I have spent probably two to 300 hours of research on this alone. Hell and what the Bible says about hell. But you're absolutely right. And it's interesting how in the Bible, when a good person, same exact Hebrew word, when a quote-unquote good person said that word, it was translated as grave or something that was just kind of general death, dying, whatever. But when it was in a negative context, when it was a sinner was or hell. a bad person, it was hell. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that's an English translation. But when did the English translation come about? It's actually King, King, King James. James. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and when did that happen? That was back in like Britain.
0: like the 1500s, yeah. And this oh. is
1: during the time when the Catholics and the Protestants, they're all oh, trying yeah. to Big fight fights. for their political power. Mm-hmm. So hell... Was very much a political issue because yeah. that was the foundation of how they could impose fear on people and indulgences. Yeah, so, okay this goes, so, this goes, so this is money,
0: such... you can go to heaven, sure.
1: So, who knew that a woman's orgasm could go all the way back?
0: <laughs> oh, okay, so <laughs> heathens, the heathens, um, going back to the not knowing who the father is and patriarchy and all that stuff. There is a book series and it's a fiction series. It's called Clan of the Cave Bear. And it is like prehistoric, Neanderthal, early modern human. It focuses on, you know, that time period. And they didn't know, quote unquote, where babies came from. So they had different theories on how children came to be. And so all of the societies that she talked about were matriarchal because the child came from the woman and that's her child. So men didn't really have children. They had children of their hearth. So if they were paired up with a woman or mated to a woman, her children were the children of his hearth. But that didn't necessarily mean they were his children. So it was very interesting Uh in that sense, because they didn't know that it was, you know, the act of sex that created children. Right. right. Somehow they never put two and two together. (laughs) <laughs> that happened. So they thought it was like the spirit or something of well, the man. If you have a lot of sex and only one baby comes out every once in a while, well, weren't always monogamous either. So mm-hmm. they would have these big, you know, summer festivals or whatever. And it was very common for them to just sleep with other people. So they didn't really
2: have that sense of monogamy. So if you like that, read Sex at Dawn. And it is about the actual research that has been put into these older societies and not just making it up to, be entertaining, but they actually go from the like letters that are written back home when they originally the conquistadors and explorers were showing up from England and Spain and then running into these tribes and going oh my God, this is what they're doing. And right back to England and say, look at these festivals. <laughs> and there were some societies where they thought that the more sperm she got, the better the baby would grow and that they would receive qualities from each of the men that was coming that inside her. With yes. it, it, during While the pregnancy. pregnancy? Yes. Hey, I can
0: see how that conclusion was drawn. Sure, know? sure.
2: So yeah, it really- it sounds like a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for it.
1: And with that, ladies- Whether it be Neanderthals or the topic of hell or whatever might else be in the mix, don't feel shame about your body.
0: Thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you love this, don't forget to leave a rating and review. To connect with us and ask questions, visit us at goodbadhorrible.com.